Let us look to the scriptures, and I will invite you to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to <clears throat> come back down. I told you a week or so ago that we were going to fly high altitude over the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. But as I got back to Matthew chapter 7 and started looking again at these words, I was reminded at how often this passage of Scripture is misunderstood. There are so many misconceptions and misunderstandings uh, about the first part of Matthew chapter 7 that I feel it's really important for us to kind of come back down from that high altitude view and get a little bit deeper uh, look at Matthew chapter 7. Just to review a little bit of where we've been, you remember the Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes and, and the idea there is simply that no one is beyond the reach of God's blessing. No matter their circumstances in life, no matter their background, there's nobody that uh, is beyond blessing because the kingdom of God is open to all of us. We understand from the teachings of Jesus. We, we also understand that we're building. The Sermon on the Mount is something that, that builds on itself. It's not uh, a bunch of isolated ideas that we pick out and pick certain ideas, but they build one on top of the other. So we understand at this point that we've laid aside anger and contempt and cultivated lusting and manipulation, all those things that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5. And then in Matthew chapter 6, we, he talks about the idea that we have security, we are able to, to rest and be comfortable in God's kingdom because we realize that we serve a God who knows us completely and loves us just the way we are. We live without anxiety because we find our well-being in God's eternal kingdom and not in temporal things like people-pleasing and possessions. Now, the fact is that many people do not know how to manage their life and especially their relationships without anger and lust, and manipulation, and people-pleasing. Now, I don't know, maybe you might think of somebody in your life that you know. I'm not sure how many would admit, yeah, I, I'm really, I'm not sure how to manage the relationships in my life without anger. But I do know that uh, this, is, this is the truth in a lot of cases. At least that one on the bottom, people-pleasing. You know, most of us here in this setting would say, you know, we, we've pretty well gotten past uncontrolled anger. And I hope you understand what I mean. I, I, I didn't communicate. On the day that I talked about anger, I didn't communicate as clearly as I wish I would have. Uh, but you understand what I'm talking about. I'm talking about uncontrolled anger. Lust, manipulation, people-pleasing. That's one that is more difficult to, to get along without, to manage our relationships without people-pleasing. In other words, I'm not trying to present myself to the world or to individuals in such a way that they... 
I'm not presenting myself as I am. I'm presenting myself as what I think they want me to be. You understand that? That's what we can do in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, it is safe to say, this is who I am. This is me. And if people like me the way I am, that's okay. And if people don't like me the way I am, that's okay too. Because my security, my well-being does not rest on other people's opinions or feelings about me. My security and well-being is safe in God's kingdom. So, the question comes to this. If I'm not people-pleasing and manipulating, then how do I get people to do, think, or believe the way I want them to? Let me say that again. If I'm not somebody who engages in people-pleasing and manipulation, or I'm not using anger or whatever, I'm not using any of these things, um, how do I get people to do, think, and believe the way I want them to? And what this comes down to is influence in the kingdom. Influence in the kingdom. So let's look at these passages of scripture from Matthew chapter 7. One of these, actually the very first verse, you will recognize right away. It's probably one of the most quoted scriptures in all of the Bible. And most of the time, people have no idea what they're really talking about when they quote these words. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. You'll hear Christians and non-Christians alike quote that verse over and over and over again, and I'm confident that more than half of them really don't know what they're talking about. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, do you remember that word, hypocrite? Do you remember what it means? It is somebody who is an actor. In Jesus' day, it was a reference to someone who was an actor. They were not, not just they were pretending, but they were literally an actor. Well, Jesus adjusted the meaning of that word to refer to people who present themselves in such a way so that people will think good things about them. But that's not really who they are. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and then turn to attack you. Let's pause again for just a moment of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for your spirit that helps us to understand. In these moments that we have remaining, would you open our understanding to hear and see? Lord, would you help us to speak the words that you want to be said? And Lord, if, if we're not doing it, if I'm not doing it, Justice, we pray that you will simply bypass me 
Would you, by your spirit, speak directly to the hearts of those that are hearing your word? Help us to respond and walk in the light. In Jesus' name, amen. The whole of the first part of chapter 7, down through verse 12, is really about relationships and influence. Relationships and influence. I think it's important as we begin looking at this passage to first talk about what Jesus is not saying. What Jesus is not saying when he says, judge not lest you be judged. In our world and in our culture, this has come to be a very popular uh, phrase, of uh, verse of scripture, and people use it to refer to tolerance and inclusivity as we know it. In other words, ju- don't you judge me. In other words, don't you say that anything about what I'm doing might not be right. That's not your place to say. It's all about tolerance, and we've got to be inclusive of everybody. Now, don't get me wrong, being inclusive is a good thing. We ought to be in- inclusive. I believe, I'm going to say this again later on, but I believe Jesus was one of the most radically inclusive people that ever lived on the face of this earth, but not in the way that our culture means it today. He's not talking about tolerance and inclusivity as we know it. In our culture, judge not lest you be judged means there are no moral assessments allowed. No moral assessments allowed. In other words, you are not allowed to look at anything that I'm doing and say to yourself or anybody else, that's not right. That's not right for you to do that. That's what it means to us. But the truth is, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that moral assessments are not allowed. Now, let me give you an illustration of this. Imagine that you, well, none of us like to go to the dentist. I'll put myself in the dentist chair, not not you. Um, But you know what it's like to be in the dentist chair. Imagine uh, I am at the dentist's office in the chair and he says to me I see that you are not brushing or flossing like you should he says your gums are receding and you have several cavities and looks like one of these might even need a root canal and crown and I say to him how dare you judge me don't you judge me don't you say that anything about what I'm doing is not right? Is that appropriate? Is that fitting? Does that, does that make sense to do? And any honest thinking person will understand, of course that doesn't make any sense to do. What he's doing is doing his job. He is discerning, and he is seeing, and he is saying what is wrong. And I'm going to pay him for doing that. If you don't believe that Jesus meant what he meant when he said, judge not lest you be judged, if you don't believe that he wasn't talking about moral assessments, skip down a few verses to verse 15 of Matthew chapter 7. There Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. 
you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. What Jesus is talking about, that is not the sound system, by the way. I'm not sure what, what it is, but not the sound system. We've got a bad squeal. So we've got a real bad high-pitched squeal. So maybe somebody's hearing aid, if you can adjust, turn your hearing aid down, that would be really helpful. Um, thank you. Um, moral assessments. Jesus says you will, you will know them by their fruit. Well, how are we supposed to recognize people that are uh, false prophets? How are we supposed to recognize when we're not allowed to make moral assessments, if we're not allowed to do that? Well, that's not what Jesus was talking about. We must, it is crucial, that we are able to look at behavior and actions and make a judgment call. That is, do an assessment to know that this is right and this is wrong. Amen? Is everybody with, everybody with me? Now, the problem is that, you know, we go on. Jesus talked about that, that passage where he says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That one that you assess and you decide, oh, I don't think that's right, don't forget, it's not your job to cut them down and throw them into the fire. Did you catch that? That is what Jesus is talking about when he says, judge not that you be not judged. When I see something that I recognize that I know is not right, I've got to remember, yes, I need to know, I, I can make a moral assessment, but I also need to remember I'm not the one who is called to do the chopping off and the throwing into the fire. It's not my job. So let's go on and talk about what he is saying. What he is saying. A better way for our modern ears to hear this instruction from Jesus is the idea or the concept of judgmentalism. Judgmentalism, being judgmental, that's different than making a judgment call or a moral assessment. When we are judgmental, we put ourselves in a position of moral superiority. We look at whoever, whatever the behavior is or the appearance is, and we put ourselves in a position of moral superiority above that person, and we whether we're doing it outwardly or not, what's actually happening is inwardly we're looking down and inwardly saying, oh, bless their hearts. You know, they just, they don't have it together. We're putting ourselves in a position of moral superiority. We are also giving ourselves the right of condemnation and blame. 
In other words, like I mentioned a moment ago, we're going beyond just making a moral assessment. We're putting ourselves in the position of the one who has the right to chop them down and cast them into the fire. What we're doing causes us to not see the person, but only the behavior or the appearance by which we define and condemn them. This is really important for us to hear, people. Being judgmental causes us to look at a person's behavior or appearance. And by their behavior or appearance, we allow that to blind us to who they really are as a person, someone made in the image of God, and we see only their behavior or their appearance for which we condemn them, and we put the gavel down and we say, guilty, guilty. This is what Jesus is talking about. In our hearts, we look at someone And we say, away with you. What does this look like? Well, this looks like the disciples on many occasions. You remember that story when I believe believe it was going through a a village of of Samaria and the people said, no, you you can't go through this village. And the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, these people are not letting us go down, go through their village. Lord, should we just call down fire from heaven and destroy them all? We've got that kind of power. You know, you're on our side. We've got that kind of power. We could just, you know, certainly you could, and surely Jesus could have if he had chosen to. He spoke the word and cursed the fig tree. And when they came back by, the fig tree was all withered and dead and drooping. And the disciples were amazed. The disciples on many occasions had that judgmental attitude. (laughs) It looks like us when sometimes we say, can you believe what they're wearing? Can you believe somebody would go out in public like that? Now, quite honestly, it is uh, sometimes difficult to not do that. (laughs) But oh, God help us. Amen? God help us. This example hits close to home. To me, it's very personal. But it looks like me when I saw the obviously flamboyantly gay man and in front of my children I said, oh, yuck. You know, say, Pastor, do you think that that kind of lifestyle is acceptable? No, I don't. I think it's contrary to nature and contrary to God's word. Say, Pastor, do you not find it at times detestable the way people present themselves and whatever? And I've got to be honest with you and tell you, friends, that yes, sometimes I do. However... What I was doing in that moment, and by the way, this is an incident that really happened in our, in our family. 
what I was doing is allowing that person's appearance to define for me who they were rather than seeing them as a person just like me created in the image of God. And I can't see beyond that exterior. I'm not only doing that that is sinful myself, but I was teaching my children an example, presenting to them an example that this is okay for us to do, that we look at people and we say, oh, yuck. No matter, and maybe that's not the example. You know, maybe it's all of us when we drive down MacArthur by I-40 and we see the homeless people standing with their sign and we say to ourselves or the person driving in the car with us, they just need to get a job. I hope all of you realize it's not that simple. It's not that simple. And that's another time. Yeah, there are problems in, in that area. I understand. And and certainly, I'm sure there are many of them that really, they're actually scammers. And they're presenting themselves as something that they're not in order to get a, they're freeloading. I'm sure that's the case. But oh, people, wouldn't you, wouldn't you rather demonstrate the love of Christ and on occasion maybe give something or do something for somebody that maybe doesn't deserve it than to draw your hand back and live with a tight fist and never show the love of Jesus to anybody that really needs it. It ends up looking like rejection. Really, it's, it's simply rejection, this judgmentalism that Jesus is talking about. It is us taking a position of moral superiority and, and saying, you know, because of what that person is doing or what they look like, they don't deserve my mercy or my grace. And, and we stand over them as judge and jury and say, guilty. It is about this attitude that Jesus says, don't do it. Judge not. Don't do it. You see, friends, this command is rooted in the very purposes of Jesus Christ and why he came to this earth. We read about it in John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And people were never going to help anybody to get to Jesus or get saved through, a, through an attitude or a spirit of judgmentalism. This behavior is beautifully demonstrated by Jesus in John chapter 8 in that story of the woman who supposedly, and I have no reason to believe it wasn't true, the woman was caught, taken in the very act of adultery. Now, What's interesting about that story is that they didn't say or do anything about the man, apparently. But that poor lady, poor woman, was brought to Jesus, probably drugged to Jesus, and, and said, Lord, this woman was caught, taken in the very act of adultery. 
Now the law says we should stone her. What do you say? And Jesus, you know the story, acting as if he did not hear, began uh, stooped down and began just writing in the sand. And nobody really knows what he was writing, but it was speculated, it has been speculated, that he was writing out some of the sins, the heart sins of those men that were standing ready to stop. I don't know if that's the case or not. It's a possibility. But they kept pressing Jesus for an answer, and finally Jesus said, okay, you then that is without sin, you cast the first stone. And he continued writing in the sand, and after a few moments he looked up, and the woman was left there alone with Jesus, each one of them having dispersed from the eldest down to the youngest. And Jesus said, Woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And he said, Beautiful, beautiful words, then neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. You notice he didn't send her off and say, Yeah, don't worry about it. Just go. Go back to your life. No, he said, I'm not going to condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus says, judge not, don't do it. It's taking me longer than I want it to. Let's keep going. Let's talk about some more misconceptions about what is involved here. The reason why we are told by Jesus, judge not. The first is this, judgmentalism provokes retaliatory judging. It provokes retaliatory judging. A common, mis a common misconception here, I'm trying to talk too fast, um, is that this verse means if I am judgmental to someone else, then God is going to judge me. That's not what that verse means. It doesn't mean if I'm judgmental that God is going to judge me. The, the, really, the easy way to understand this verse is the same uh, concept as a soft answer turns away wrath. It's the same concept. Just as a soft answer turns away wrath, the opposite is also true. If you give a harsh and angry response, you are most likely to provoke a harsh, angry response in return. I brought... Uh, something here to help illustrate this. This is not a very big bucket, but it is a bucket. And inside this bucket, I have this. Can any of you see what this is? Maybe you'll get it better if I do that. You know what that is? A thimble. Yes. A thimble. Now, here's what Jesus is talking about. He said, judge not lest you be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So if you pour buckets and buckets of judgmentalism on the people around you and thimblefuls of grace and mercy, that is exactly what you're going to get in return. They are going to respond in kind to you the way you respond to them. Unless they've got loads and loads of Jesus' grace functioning in their lives. 
measure out buckets of judgment, you're going to get back buckets of judgment. And when you measure out thimblefuls of grace and mercy, that's all you're going to get in return. Contrarywise, if you measure out thimblefuls of judgment, and rather you err on the side of grace and mercy, and you're measuring out buckets of grace, then you get back. But I would a whole lot rather receive thimblefuls of judgment and criticism and critique and bucket loads of grace and mercy. I, boy, I hope that's what I get from the people around me. So if that's what I want, then that's what I need to give out. You see, the person that you condemn will look and they will find and they will reveal the flaws that you have. If you want to look, and let me tell you, if you want to find flaws, you can find them. You can look at the people around you, look for flaws, you'll find them. But just as surely as you do that, they'll begin looking at you and looking for your flaws and begin pointing them out. And it will be proportionate. What you get back will be in proportion to what you give out. Again, judgmentalism is like having a log in your eye. This is easy to remember. Uh, Jesus is being funny here. And uh, he says, how, why, you know, you hypocrites, you, you have a log in your eye. Why do you look at your brother with a speck in his eye and say, let me help you with that? No, first get the log out of your eye. Then you can help with the splinter. Now, the common misconception here is that, well, everybody has some kind of a problem. Now everybody, they, we see the, the log or the speck in the eye as this is saying everybody has some kind of sin that, that they struggle with or that they deal with. Everybody has that. So nobody can be helpful to anybody else. That's kind of the common understanding, but that's not what that is saying. That's not what it means. It is the attitude of blame and condemnation itself that is the log. The attitude of blame and condemnation itself is the log. And as long as we are putting ourselves in a position of moral superiority, looking down our noses and casting blame at other people, we have no ability to be truly a helpful blessing to anybody who might have a problem in their lives. You see, a spirit of condemnation, a spirit of judgmentalism reveals that our hearts do not have the kingdom righteousness that Jesus is teaching about. We are blinded to the personhood of people, and we see them and determine their value or their lack of value by the behavior or the appearance for which we have condemned them. We're blinded to the reality of the person. Judgmentalism is like having a log in your eye. Judgmentalism is like feeding pearls to a pig. Like feeding pearls to a pig. Here's another one that is commonly misunderstood. The misconception here is and I honestly used to think this way. 
This means that some people are not worthy of the good things that I could say or do for them. So because they may waste or squander what good I might do for them, then I'm going to withhold it. It's not what that's saying. The point here is not about worthiness or unworthiness. It's the fact that pearls are indigestible to the pig. It's the fact that feeding pearls to the pig is not nice to the pig. They can't digest it. They can't eat it. It's not going to do them any good. Because you see, what often follows condemnation is what I heard someone call pearl pushing. Pearl pushing. I mentioned this old Indian proverb to you, not Indian from the country of India, that goes something like this. After you have cut off a person's nose, there is no point in giving them a rose to smell. After you have cut off a person's nose, there is no point in giving them a rose to smell. And this is exactly what happens a lot of times. What follows condemnation is pearl pushing. After we have put ourselves in a position of moral superiority, we have cast judgment on someone and said, that's not right. You're, you know, then we, let me help you with that. Let me tell you about Jesus. How do you think they will receive your pearls about Jesus after you have put yourself in a position of moral superiority and condemnation over them? It's like giving pearls to pigs. They will not be able to digest or accept or receive what you have to say. And friends, this is so far from the spirit of Jesus. Luke chapter 6, verse 35. Let me just mention this verse uh, to you quickly. Jesus says, love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. In other words, Jesus does nice things for people that don't deserve it. So when Jesus taught us, don't cast your pearls before pigs, he wasn't saying, if they're, gonna, if they're not going to value what you have to offer, don't do it for them. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, don't give them something they can't digest. Don't give them something they can't swallow. So this is, friends, the primary application of this passage. What do you dispense and how much? What are the proportions? Do you dispense pearls by the bucket and grace by the thimble? In other words, you pour out critique and criticism, and, and that is by the bucket load, and grace is by the thimble. Or rather, do you dispense grace by the bucket? And judgment 
condemnation, critique, criticism by the thimble. Friends, as I mentioned a few moments ago, when people assess me and my actions, I sure hope they're using buckets full of grace. I hope, you know, when they, if I'm acting off or whatever, you know, I, I hope, they may walk away shaking their heads and wondering what's wrong with me or what's going on, but I hope they assume the best and say, maybe, maybe he was dropped on his head or something, I don't know, but, but surely he meant well. Rather than to write me off and say, that phony, that hypocrite. So if that's what I want, friends, then I ought to treat everybody else around me the same way. The golden rule, verse 12 of Matthew 7, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. I'm going to close with this, this, this phrase, beyond the pale. Have any of you heard that little phrase, beyond the pale? It is the, it's an old term, and it's used now to refer to someone who's actions or behavior or appearance, it, it seems to be so abhorrent that we just can't hardly believe they're doing what they're doing. And so we say, that's beyond the pale. I can't believe they're doing that or acting that way. But where this actually came from is an ancient tribal practice of cutting people off from the rest of society. And they were forced to exist beyond the pale ring of firelight that surrounded the fire in the, in the village. In other words, you know, at night and in, in before the modern era, and you'd maybe have a centrally located cooking fire or whatever, and, and everybody gathers around it, and it casts a light, a glow, but it only goes so far. And those people that were forced to exist beyond the pale, they were outcasts of society and they were not allowed to approach or get close to the fire. Friends, can I tell you this morning that people who are perceived as different in our society, they ought to be relieved to hear that you are a Christian. They ought to be relieved to hear that I am a Christian. But sadly, the overwhelming understanding of the, of the cultural uh, context, the society that we live in, is most people, they want to kind of distance themselves from those who are named as Christians. Because as I'm not saying any of us in particular, I'm just talking about the whole of, of Christian society is perceived to be this way, judgmental. Now, please, if you go out of here and quote me, be sure you quote me correctly. Remember everything that I have said in this message and don't just take one little bit of what I have said in this message, okay? Remember, I'm not saying that we cannot make moral assessments, okay? The truth is, in his day, Jesus was radically inclusive. He welcomed adulterers and divorced women and lepers 
and tax collectors and sinners. And one of the worst things that the religious people of Jesus' day could think of to say about him was, here's a man who eats with sinners. Would to God that that was one of the worst criticisms that people could make about you and about me. Let's pray. If this has sounded heavy-handed, please forgive me. I don't. If it comes across as heavy-handed, it's because I feel it for myself too. And I recognize my own propensities and my own tendencies to fall into this trap. God help us to be able to recognize sin when we see it. And to be on our guard. But help us also to be people that when those out in the world find out that we are a Christian, they don't suddenly want to distance themselves from us. They should rather feel relieved to know that we are a Christian. Let's stand together.